Well, I was at one of the lowest points in my life, and it happened when my kids were teenagers. <laughs> During their teen years, all of our three kids at some point went through some kind of significant, significant growing pains that affected them and affected our family. And some of those things took a while to get resolved. It was more than just a typical teenage angst. And my mind and my heart were stirring with anxiety for my kids, and I felt like I was coming up with very few answers. And it was a very stressful season. And the stress of dealing with our teenagers slopped over into my marriage and was creating tension in my relationship with Julie. And in that very same season, two close ministry colleagues, men that I had deeply trusted, they had turned on me. And they were covertly attacking me and trying to undermine me. And I felt like I was under assault. And I didn't know how to fix those broken relationships. So as you can imagine, in the midst of that, what was I doing? I was crying out to God. I was asking for help, saying, God, give me wisdom. Give me some relief. And guess what? It was one of those seasons when heaven was silent. God was not responding. And I felt like my world was being rocked because I was begging God for help and asking for wisdom and relief and, and here I am, I'm getting hit on all sides emotionally and relationally and spiritually. And in that season, any sense of stability I had was completely evaporating. And I was filled with tremendous insecurity. Now, now what I've just described is an extreme example, but we all know what it's like for various circumstances of life to produce within us feelings of insecurity, don't we? And what do we do when that happens? Where can we find reassurance and hope? Over the years, I've learned that whenever I'm in the grip of powerful emotions, the book of Psalms can be a tremendous source of comfort and insight. And in the midst of that very troubling season in my life, I ran across Psalm 13. As I read that very short prayer written by King David of Israel, I discovered words that spoke directly to my circumstances because David also was at a point where he felt overwhelmed by life. He too was in a season where his sense of security was stripped away on multiple fronts. So this psalm offers timeless wisdom to help each of us deal with our own insecurities, whatever they might be. Now in just a minute, we're going to go through this prayer in detail, but first I'm going to read it aloud without any words on the screen. And here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you just to listen. Even if you have your Bible open, whether that's a literal Bible or the Bible on your phone, <laughs> even if you have your Bible open, I would like to ask you, don't read along right now. Just listen. Listen with your ears and listen with your heart. 
listen as our spiritual ancestor cries out to God and let's allow ourselves to feel the impact of his words. Psalm 13, to the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Oh, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Oh, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Well, once again, we have a psalm here that was transformed into a worship song for the people of God. To the choir master, a psalm of David. Now, clearly, though, this is not your typical praise song because David, as you just heard, he expresses a tremendous amount of pain in this prayer that became a song. I think it's a reminder that at times it's good to sing about our hurts and not just our joys. And there's times when it's good for us to come together as God's people and sing about our hurts together to cry out to God together, to remind us that we all deal with the same kind of stuff. None of us is in this journey alone. Now, now sometimes when David is describing problems and difficult circumstances, we know what's driving it, but we in this case don't know what caused him to write these particular words. What we do know is that he had plenty of problems in his life. Growing up, his family life wasn't all that great. He wasn't particularly close to his father or his brothers. And evidently, he wasn't much of a father himself because his own children were were constantly at war with each other. Literally at war with each other. Talk about a dysfunctional family. Plus, David's predecessor, King Saul, viewed him as a threat and tried to kill him on more than one occasion. And then when David became king, his son Absalom led a rebellion against him. Now now that's plenty of heartache for one life. And it's only a partial list of the problems David faced. Yet through all of his hardships, some of them self-inflicted, David always kept the line of communication open with God. And we see that throughout all of the psalms that he wrote. And here in Psalm 13, David is painfully honest with God about the level of his brokenness. And it starts in verse 1 where David makes it clear that he feels abandoned by God. Now let's take a look. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me. Can can you imagine the depth of pain that David must be feeling to cry out like that? 
And he's spiritually mature enough to know that God never abandons his children, but right now there's a conflict between his head and his heart. It's David's feelings that cause him to doubt. And that makes sense to us, doesn't it? How can you feel secure in your faith when heaven seems silent? And that's how I felt during that low point in my life many years ago. And I'm sure we've all felt that way at times. Wondering, God, where are you? And why aren't you responding? We need to realize, though, there are many legitimate reasons for God's silence. One of the most significant reasons we find in the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 8 to 9, where God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, God has his own purposes because he is great. And as finite beings, we simply cannot know or understand everything about our infinite God. So among other things, the silence of heaven reminds us that God does not operate according to your plans and mine. We can't expect him to resolve our problems in the way we want and in the timing we want. I remember one time at our church in Southern California, I happened to walk into the office of another pastor on staff and, and he was just striding around the room and he was clearly upset. I felt like I could see the steam coming out of his ears. And I said, what is the matter? And he said, I've got a problem. I've got a big problem. And the biggest problem is I'm in a hurry to solve it and God isn't. Because God isn't giving me any answers right now. We can be so impatient with God. We know what that's like. We're always in such a hurry. But God has a different agenda. And here's what occurs to me. God may be doing all sorts of work during seasons of silence that we may know nothing about. And we won't reap the benefits of God's hidden work if we turn away from Him. So even when God seems far away, you and I need to stay connected to Him, and that's precisely what David does. Despite God's apparent silence, David continues to call out. He does not give up. He is relentless. And he does this because he recognizes that only God can provide the answers he needs. Only God can sustain him. And so he keeps after God, and he's going to keep after God till he gets a response. Here's a metaphor that occurs to me. I feel like David's keeping after God like a dog with a delectable bone. <laughs> he's just going to keep on gnawing away because it tastes good. And he's going to demonstrate his persistence until God responds. He wants Father God to know, I'm not giving up. And I think that's a great example for us. Now, now, when we're in a hard spot, even if we're persistent, dealing with the silence of heaven, 
obviously can be very frustrating. Unfortunately for David, that's not all of the problems that he has. His insecurity is inflamed not just by the seeming abandonment of God, David also is incredibly anxious. Let's continue on in the first part of verse 2. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day. That phrase there, counsel in my soul, really implies like there's this whirring and stirring and wrestling and nothing is coming to settle down. And I think we know what that's like. We don't know what David's problems are, but there's this emotional churning going on. And he's unable to wrestle his thoughts into submission. And all of that anxiety leads him to a place of pain and sadness. David's words so accurately summarize what I was feeling when my children were teens and as they went through their various physical and emotional and relational and spiritual pains, I found myself continually wrestling with my thoughts. And the more that I wrestled with my thoughts and their unresolved problems, the greater sadness I felt. And like David, there were times when Julie and I were just crying out to God in prayer, how long, O oh Lord? How long do we need to wrestle with these anxious thoughts? Oh, seasons like that are so unsettling. And they create huge amounts of uncertainty. But, but one of the lessons that we learn from the book of Psalms is that it is so good and so healthy to cry out to God when we are anxious. That's one of the reasons God gave us this incredible book of prayers. I love the fact that King David and the other psalm writers, they hold nothing back. They talk with God about everything. And I think it's accurate to say that every conceivable human emotion that can be felt is expressed somewhere in the book of Psalms. God gave us this book to meet us at our points of deep emotional need and to encourage us and show us how to respond. And so David here is honest with God and we need to follow his example and be as honest with God as he is because sometimes what we do is we convince ourselves that the best way forward is to pretend that everything's okay. I've met numerous Christians some Christians who I've known for years, and through talking with them, it's like they've never had a problem because life is all peace, love, and Jesus. <laughs> I'm a follower of Jesus. That means life is problem-free. And that's how they position themselves with other people. That's what they think they need to do to represent the life of faith well. And some Christians, that's even how they talk with God. They're not honest about what's going on in their mind and their heart and their soul. And psalms like this show us a different way. David reminds us that it's okay to admit our struggles. In fact, it's more than okay. At times, it's essential. Because here's what I believe. I believe that God values our honesty with Him and with each other. That's why the Bible says, confess your sins to one another. And when we pretend, it just creates this barrier that God then has to break through in order to heal our souls. 
So David models something powerful for us here. He strips away all pretense and he continues to pour out his heart to God. And he does it because he's facing a lot of challenges, abandonment and anxiety. But he's not yet done reciting his litany of woes because along with everything else, he's got some enemy who at this moment seems to have the upper hand. So in addition to everything else, David feels as if he is under assault. Let's continue on. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Now we, we don't know who this particular enemy is, but David clearly feels that his life is at risk. I, I've never been in that situation, but it occurs to me that if you feel like another person is trying to kill you, it probably leads to just a little bit of insecurity. I, I can't imagine it would be peaceful to go through each day feeling like you've got to watch your back, wondering when the next attack might take place. Hopefully you and I don't fear for our lives and hopefully most of us don't face physical threats but we do know what it's like to be verbally assaulted, don't we? And we know what it's like when other people don't have our best interests at heart and try to undermine us. Oh, that can make us feel very insecure. David's words here capture my own feelings during that time when a couple of my ministry colleagues were trying to sabotage me. How could God let that happen? How long would it go on? Could, could they undermine me to the point where I might lose my job? And how could I ever resolve this? In moments like that when we're under assault, what can we do except cry out to God in the midst of our anguish? And just think about all of these situations that David is experiencing. Even just one of them would be bad enough. But, but, but he's facing like this triple dose of brokenness. Spiritual, emotional, and relational insecurity. And he's cried out to God honestly and expressed his hurt and his pain. And that's all good. But how can he move forward? How can he move beyond his pain and experience some kind of hope when God is silent and the problems are unresolved? Here's what really challenged me when I first read this psalm so many years ago in the midst of my own season of difficulty because what David writes next is incredibly powerful and I think it points the way forward for any of us when we feel overwhelmed by insecurity. And that's because David responds to his circumstances by doing something that almost seems counterintuitive. He affirms God's faithfulness. Let's take a look at the last two verses. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. 
You ever try to bargain with God? <laughs> God? God, if you do this for me, then I'll be faithful. If you give me what I want, then I'll sing your praises. David, David doesn't do that. He doesn't make his trust in God conditional, and he doesn't try to bargain with God because that's not the way faith works. Because of David's faith, he affirms his trust in God before he gets the answers he wants. He praises God before his circumstances are resolved. Now in the world can he do that? It's because of something profound, what David calls God's steadfast love mentioned in verse 5. Now that phrase, steadfast love, is a translation of a Hebrew word, hesed. Hesed. And that is a rich, rich word that appears 240 times in the Old Testament. It is such a deep, and complex word that it only can be described in English with multiple adjectives. Hesed means a love that is strong, gracious, merciful, kind, loyal, and long-suffering. I could probably add a few more adjectives. God's steadfast love is a love we can count on. And that's why David always can trust God. God's unfailing love puts up with just about anything and everything, and he never, ever, ever stops loving his children. And so even in this moment when David is low and God is silent, he can write these amazing words, I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. And I'd like us to think for a moment about the tenses of those words. I will praise God, present tense, because of what God has done in the past. See, past tense. In other words, even in moments of great insecurity, David can praise God because the Lord has proven his love and faithfulness in the past, and that's because his love is hesed. But I want to draw a contrast here between the greatness of God and our imperfections as humans. Because when it comes to human beings and our plans and our institutions and our processes, what happened in the past is not necessarily a guarantee of the future. Here's an example. Let's say you decide to invest, <coughs> excuse me, Let's say you decide to invest in a mutual fund. You receive a document called a prospectus. Many of you know what that is. And it describes this investment fund and usually includes a chart that shows how this particular investment has performed in the past. And those charts always include a disclaimer. You know what it says? Who knows what that says? Past performance is no guarantee of future results. And why is that? Because financial markets can be uncertain. And because investment decisions are made by people. And people are not always reliable. They're not infallible. 
And the sad fact is human beings are unreliable in so many ways. A loyal friend can turn on us. A trusted business partner can cheat us. The politicians who make promises to get elected can change their tune after they're in office. People can, and they sometimes do, let us down. So when it comes to us, the past is not always a good predictor of the future. But it's oh so different with our great God. And this is an area, a primary of life, where God's ways are very different than our ways as we read in Isaiah just a few minutes ago. Because with God, the past always is a guarantee of future results. And that's because our God is full of has said, and his love toward you and me is unfailing, it's never ending. And that's one of the things that makes our God so great. And we have reams of evidence that he's been faithful in the past and therefore you and I can rely on him today and tomorrow and for the rest of our lives. That's why God gave us this book called the Bible which is full of story after story about God's hesed faithfulness. And I think you and I should regularly take time just to sit down and to recall the ways that God has stepped into our own lives. And as we read biblical events and as we recall our own personal experiences, then we, like David, can trust that God is active in our lives even in moments of great pain and heavenly silence. Even in moments of great insecurity when nothing seems to be going right, we can sing God's praises because of His great Hesed love. Now having said that, I think the, the pain that's expressed in this psalm does raise a logical question. It's the question, why? Why do any of us have to go through difficult times? As I ponder this, I think there are three points for us to consider. First, we're broken people and we live in a broken world. That's just reality. And as a result, everyone, believers and unbelievers alike, is going to experience seasons of insecurity. It's simply part of this life, and we won't be free of it until the next life. And because of that reality, leads to the second point. We sometimes go through hard times so we can be an encouragement to others when they go through hard times. And I think about that specifically in the life of King David of Israel. He's the king, he's God's appointed leader of God's nation, so his role is to live as an act of faith and to rule as a man of faith. And I think it would be particularly tempting for him as a leader to act toward the people as if, oh man, I've got it all together. Look at my flawless life of faith. David doesn't do that. And I marvel at the fact that not only does he write this prayer where he describes all of his insecurity, he gives it to the choir director so everyone can sing these words. And why would David do that? It's because he wants people to know that even their godly king struggles. 
their hand-picked king, picked by God, struggles with questions and doubts. And I think David wants God's people to know that it's not a lack of faith to feel such things. It's not a lack of faith to express such things to God. It's only a lack of faith when we allow our doubts and questions and struggles to drive us away from God. And so in moments of insecurity, the way for you and I to demonstrate our faith is to persistently call out to God and to praise Him and worship Him, trusting that He is at work even when we're clueless. And that's what David does. And here's what I think. I think there's a leadership lesson here. I think that when he bears his soul to God's people, he's being a great leader and a great role model of faith. And I think all of us who are spiritual leaders in the church need to recognize that we also serve as role models of faith, not by pretending to be perfect, but by being honest about our own struggles. And like David, we can let others know that we will relentlessly pursue God regardless of what we feel or how hard life gets. This is one of the reasons that I sometimes share my problems and struggles with you. Trust me, it's not because I like to talk about myself. I'd rather not. But it's because I want you to know that I fight the same battles you do. You see, God lets me go through such things so I can encourage you and so I can let you know that in the midst of my struggles my confidence never ever is in me my confidence is in the Lord God Almighty and I want you to know that no matter what struggles I ever face I will never ever let go of God because I know that he's never going to give up on me because of God's hesed unfailing love Now, there's one last answer to the why question. When I consider God's faithfulness in the past, I realize that the greatest way He expresses His unfailing love to me is not actually by solving all my problems in the way I want. The greatest way I experience God's love is that He patiently, patiently, because oh, is He (laughs) long-suffering, He patiently helps me become a better person. And I look back at all the years that I've walked with God, and since I became a teenager, God has patiently and persistently changed me. He's helped me become less selfish. He's helped me become more concerned for others. He's helped me become far less materialistic. He's humbled me and made me much more willing to apologize. He's given me a heart for people who don't know Jesus. Those are great gifts from a great God. And so sometimes when you and I are crying out to God saying, Lord, I'm in the midst of this problem and I want you to solve it right now, God's saying, you know what, that problem isn't the biggest issue here. God's saying, I want you to go through this season of insecurity to get your attention because it's an invitation for you to grow. 
And I learned that lesson during my own season of, of crisis and insecurity that I described earlier. And I realized ultimately that God hadn't abandoned me. He was just inviting me to trust Him more fully and let Him work on me in the midst of the problems. And it changed the way I prayed. Instead of saying, God, why don't you fix this? I started to say, God, what are you up to here? What are you trying to do in me and through me? How do I need to change? And by praying differently, I got different answers. So he prompted me to change the way that I interacted with my teenagers, which greatly reduced my anxiety and theirs as they worked through their issues. They didn't get the solutions any faster. But we all got there in a lot better way. God prompted me to change the way that I interacted with my ministry colleagues, which equipped me to confront them in love about what was happening and to bring about a successful resolution to our conflict so we could rebuild trust in our relationships and continue to work together. So with God's help, I was able to move past my insecurities. I was able to change. And as God changed me, oh, did I see his unfailing love, his Hesed love at work in my life. I think this psalm is a wonderful psalm for you and I to embrace whenever we are racked by insecurities. And I hope we can take heart from David's example to open up to God as he did, to speak with our God openly and honestly, to take time to thank God for his faithfulness in the past, to sing his praises, and to believe that he is being good to us and leading us into a better future even in the midst of difficulties. Never forget that our God is great. He is far greater than the insecurities that tie you and me into emotional knots. And because of his unfailing love, he will sustain us. He will lead us through whatever we face. Our God never, ever will give up on you. So don't ever give up on our great God. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you care for us so richly and so deeply. And thank you that you love us enough not to always give us what we want, but instead you give us what we need. Whenever we struggle with our own insecurities in life, I pray that we would affirm your faithfulness as David did, that we would take heart in your unending chesed love. It's such a reminder that you are good and you are great. It's a reminder that your love never ends. So regardless of what's stirring in our minds and our hearts, May we hold on to your promise so we can hold on to you. And we pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.